0: Hello and welcome to the James Sheets podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: The Book of Joel. We're not going to read a text this morning. The type sermon I'm going to preach this morning is called expository you want to put a name to it, which means we will use the scripture throughout the sermon we won't read a specific specific text, but I'm going to read during the sermon quite a number of verses. I would invite you to just hold your Bible open to the book of Joel. We'll begin in the first chapter, actually at the seventh verse. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So if you want to back up, I know some of you have trouble finding that little place. Uh, It's it's a hard one to find. I I learned the books of the Old Testament by memory as a child in Sunday school, and I never forgot them. But don't ask me to do the New Testament, because I have to stop and think and put them in order. There's no one... Forced me to memorize the the New Testament, but I was pretty well forced into memorizing the Old Testament books so I can easily find them. But if you didn't do that, you might have a little trouble on some of these wee little ones. All right. We don't know too much about Joel, except he was a prophet probably in the 800s BC area, but we know the purpose of his his book, his little little text, that he prepared, and it came on the occasion of a very severe locust plague. Grasshoppers had come into the country and had destroyed everything that lived of the of the plant family. And it was believed in that day, and many of us still believe to a great degree, that many of the things that come upon mankind are a result of his waywardness or his unfaithfulness unto God. This the Jewish people believed very strongly, that what happened to them was a result of their unfaithfulness. You can go back through all the Old Testament and you will find again and again and again, evidences of the fact that when God's people strayed from their devotion to him, God brought upon them some devastation of one nature or other designed for the purpose of bringing them back to their faithfulness to him. So they believed and Joel preached to them on the fact that the plague that they were now suffering was a result of the sin of the people. Now, the Lord does not desire to bring upon his people plagues or bad times or distress, but oftentimes times they are brought upon us because of our unwillingness to be faithful unto him. As a matter of fact, the Lord wants to bless us as his people. He gave us in, in Malachi 3.10 the words, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to contain. If we would just accept and adhere to and receive that one promise of God, how marvelous things would be for us. But God does respond to in a favorable manner to the faithfulness of his people. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. But you see, there is a catch. And we want to jump over that catch. And that is, there must be a response on the part of God's people before God can respond and return. We are to bring the tithes into the storehouse, and once that's done, then God will react. We are to respond by seeking first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, and then the physical things of life the Lord will be able to add unto us. All right, go down to the seventh verse. And Job gives us a description of the condition of the land in the time of he's writing, and he says that he hath laid my vine waste, and barked my fig trees, he has made it clean bare, and cast it away, the branches thereof are made right. This is a description of the vineyards of Israel, even of the, the orchards, in that they were absolutely unproductive. The trees had died, the bark had been stripped off of them. They stood there shining in the sun, white as they could be, indicating the death that had taken place in those streets. It's clean bare, absolutely bare, he says. And they're cast away. They are made completely white with with, uh, unproductivity. He is saying to the Hebrew people, I want you to take stock of the condition of your life. I believe Jesus is saying to us today that he wants us to take stock as we conclude 1986, to take stock of our life. What has your 1986 been? A life of productivity for the Lord? Or has it been one of inactivity, of bareness, of nothing, Only you can answer this. Jesus said that a a branch cannot bear fruit except it abides in the vine. And he went on to say that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whether or not you and I and this church as a body have been productive in this current year, will be in direct relationship to how tight we are to the vine. Whether or not the energy coming forth out of the vine, which is Jesus Christ, has really progressed into us, the branches. How close have we lived to the source of the energy that is necessary for us to be productive. In the eighth verse, he calls the people to lament as they look back and see that their life has not been very productive because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, to lament. Like a virgin, Virgil was sacked off for the husband of her youth. This is a description of a young woman who has gotten married and during that year of Of engagement before they actually lived together. During that year, her husband died, and even before she completely was married, she was already a widow, and she would certainly lament for the condition of of her her life. The Living Bible translates it: "Weep with sorrow, as one would reflect backward." and answer in his own life. How productive have we been? And we must cry out perhaps with joy, that the fig tree has been stripped of its bark. It's dead. The vines are withered and dried up. There is no product. In verse 9, he says something very, very important. Look at it. Let me, let me interpret it then. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. There is no activity in God's house. Not only have their vineyards died up, people aren't even going to church. They're not offering their offerings. They have simply cut them off out of the service. They're not doing anything to worship God. Listen, folks, this is the condition of our nation today. This is the condition of this community. And it may very well be the condition of this church. There is no worship going on in our land for our God. Until people finally recognize the need of the church and support it with every fiber of their being, there will not be productivity. Our relationship to Jesus Christ as a church reflects the productivity of the church. The tragedy is that the members of our churches, this one and every other church that I have ever known, is one of inactivity, feeling no need to be a part of what goes on by this body. This church is no different. Where are our members? We're standing out whose bark has been peeled, whose vines have withered. They're not making their offerings unto the Lord inside the sanctuary that we call the church. Look at verse 10. The field is wasted, he says. They look out over their fields. They're all right up desolate, very, very poor, because the grasshoppers have eaten everything there is. But I think it says more than talking about a physical land that is wasted. Jesus said, Look unto the fields, for they're white and harvest. That's a totally different story than what Joel was saying here. Jesus said it's not the problem of the land, it's the problem of the laborers. The land is ready for harvest. There are multitudes of people in this community, and I marvel every time I drive from the bridge to the church, at the hundreds of homes that I can see. And I know there are other churches in the community, but if we would leave this building this morning and make our way just to the bridge and inquire in the homes along the road, most people would still be at home and not in church anywhere. The fields are white to the harvest. Where's the problem? It's the laborers. There's where the problem is, for their few. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. What's the problem? We're not lifting up Jesus Christ. We're so burdened down and problemed with, with our own lives and our own... Oh, needs that we cannot see the need of holding up Christ to the community. And other things get in the way. We're holding up something else, but it's not the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to be productive until. that are right under harvest, and there will be many laborers who will go out there to, to bring forth the harvest. Jesus complained in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus. His objection with that church was that they had left their first love. And This is the problem that we have in today's church. We have no passion for the lost. Not the problem the field. of field. for it's ready to be harvested. It's the problem of the laborers who won't go forth. Verse 11, he says, be ashamed. He calls them to be ashamed, and I'll have to hurry. Verse 12, he says, the vine is dried up. But I want you to look down at the bottom of that verse. The last phrase, joy is withered away from the sons of men. We no longer, he is saying, take the light in worship of God. There is no joy in our lives. We ought to be ashamed. The joy is withered. The light that is supposed to be the lights along the shore have gone out. Can you imagine the devastation of a ship Traveling into treacherous waters and depending upon a lighthouse to give him light and direction that he might bring his ship into harbor. And when he gets in sight as to where it ought to be, he suddenly discovers someone turned out the light. <coughs> and there is no direction. Jesus gave us the parable of the ten virgins and five of them were wise because they had oil in their lamps but i want to suggest something about those five wise virgins they were asleep you remember in the story they had the oil themselves but they didn't have a passion for those who had no oil and they kept it to themselves and didn't share that which they had verse 14 comes to a sense of urgency. He says, sanctify ye a fast and call a solemn assembly. Now I want you to notice this. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. Folk, as we in 1986, there ought to be an urgency about our call. We ought to send out a plea to the members of this church And to the people of this community, come to church. There is a need. The need is there are people lost. And we're the lights along the shore. And those lights have gone out. And we're going to have to relight them. Look at verse 17. I had to look at that verse several times. The seed is rotten. They're going out to sow. But they haven't sown for so long. When they went to the grain where you're getting seed, it was rotten. You've got to have some seed. It's worth something. And many times, we have so long forgotten what it is to sow. seed of the Lord and when we suddenly think well we better do that we don't have anything to sow with. The barns are broken down he says in the 17th verse and verse 18 the flock of sheep are desolate. That's the church a description of the church The church is not of one mind and one heart. It's not of one purpose. For we have been so self-centered that we have decided all to go our different ways and do our own little thing. It's time that we come together as one body in one faith because of one Christ. Until we are that, we're not going to be able to sow. And the flock will be desolate. Now go to chapter 2. Again, a, a sense of urgency in the first verse when he says, Blow the trumpet, sound an alarm, and let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Sound an alarm and tremble. May I ask you when you trembled last in the presence of Jesus Christ your Savior. When did you last stand before the Lord and recognize your unrighteousness, your impurity, and confess it? Your lack of zeal and your lack of love and your lack of urgency to sound the alarm to the community, to the church, verse of scripture that says, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. The church is a sleeping giant capable of transforming this world into a group of saints, but we're asleep at the switch. We have not been willing to bring ourselves to be a sense of urgency to a, to a sound the alarm. If this church has any mission in this community, it's got to be the mission of sounding the alarm. Life is short and fleeting. Some of you won't be sitting here a year from now for you'll be dead. All things being equal, in this community, who are lost, who a year from now won't be here, we have a short time to sound the alarm and proclaim the gospel of Christ in some kind of dynamic way. Verse 2, he says, There is a day of darkness and a day of gloominess, a day of clouds and a thick darkness. My, that's true. There isn't too much bright to look upon for the beginning of 1987 for most people. But I'll tell you, there is absolute darkness for the lost of this world. And that light that we have that we have put under the bushel must be taken out from under the bushel and put on the candlestick. Are you going to do it? Or are you still going to hide it? Jump now quickly over to verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore also now saith the Lord turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn. Unto the Lord your God. Here is a call to repentance. And that's the title that I've written in my notes for the the message this morning. is a call to repentance. The Lord is calling us to return to him with our heart. Return weeping and in mourning. The Old Testament days when they were in distress, they would tear their garments. And he said, don't tear your garments, tear your heart. Our hearts torn with grief and with concern and with compassion. The New Testament says, "Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy strength and with all thy mind." Do we? We were talking in Sunday school class this morning about what it costs. It doesn't cost us anything to be saved. But there is a sense in which we can say it cost us everything to follow Jesus Christ because He has commanded us to put all of our energies, all of our strength, all of our resources into serving Him. And we done it. Now I want to go down to verse 16. Again, in verse 15, he admonishes to call a solemn assembly again. Call the church. Now I want you to notice what he says in 16. He says, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth from her chamber and the bride out of her closet. In other words, every member of every family, call them together in the church. If you have young children, bring them. If you just got to get married, forget about your marriage. Come to church. Because there is something that we need to recognize. Joshua stood before the Hebrew people on one day, and he said to the, this to them: he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me in my house we're going to serve the Lord we need to call our families together and proclaim to this church and to this community and to the fields that are right under harvest as for me and my house we serve the Lord and that's a sense of urgency Verse 17 says, Let the priests and the ministers weep. In verse 18 he says, And the Lord will pity his people. Verse 25, And I will restore, the Lord said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have taken away. Here comes the Lord's blessing. If my people who are called by my name will repent, then I, the Lord says, will step in. I will have pity upon them. I will restore them. And what are the results? I think the results are extremely important. Verse 26. Again. The last phrase, My people shall not be ashamed. Verse 27, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Listen, I feel like there are times that we as individuals and we as a church body would have to be ashamed standing in the presence of the Lord for the little that we have done, for the waywardness that we have have, uh, exercised in our life, We have not stood at the foot of the cross with the passion of Jesus Christ to be his followers. And we ought to be ashamed. But if my people, he said, will come back to church and will rededicate themselves to the Lord, then they will no longer need to be ashamed. Now look at the conclusion of it. In verse 28, And it shall come to pass. Now, here's the Lord's promise. When God's people return to his service, then something's going to happen. Number one, they're never going to be ashamed. Number two, it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Do you want a revival in this community? Do you want to see a revival in this church? Here's the way it must happen, folks. Here's the beginning of it. When God's own people have repaired their sins and have brought themselves to a place of devotion to the Lord, then the Lord will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. That which has happened in you will permeate out from you and affect and influence the people about you, and we'll soon discover that people are coming to know the Lord. Because the Lord has poured out His Spirit on everybody as a result of your faithfulness and mine. Some of you folk have been around a long while and you have said, I remember how things used to be and how people used to come to church and there were great revivals and people were being saved. Let me tell you, you no longer will have to remember because you'll be living in it again. When God's people repent of their sins and return to the Lord, But not only will you folks who've been around a long time, and we'll just call you old folk for nobody—I can't think of a better term—but He doesn't stop there. He says, "Your young people, your young people are going to do some things. They're going to dream dreams. They're going to see visions." This is one of the tragedies of today's churches, is that most of them are full of old people and the younger people are not as active as they ought to be. And the reason is the old folk have not demonstrated their devotion to God enough. When we as older people are devoted to the Lord and repent of our sins, we're going to see that influencing our young people and they're going to start serving the Lord and they'll become the preachers and the missionaries and the ministers of our land because they have been touched by the Spirit of God and they will dream dreams and they will see visions. Because God will pour out His Spirit when His people return to His house. We conclude 1986. Tonight, I'm going to preach a sermon tonight from the New Testament. something out on this general theme, I'm not now looking backward to 86, but looking forward to 87. I want you to come. Are you in a position of being willing to dedicate yourself a place in the new to the service of the Lord?